We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. Lakers dropped their fourth straight last night, getting blown out in Utah in a game that was probably going to go the way that it that it went uh, for quite some time. We are hoping to get Dennis Schroeder back on Friday. Frank Vogel said that it was a possibility. Uh, he should be back soon, if not Friday. But in this pod, we're going to talk about Mark and Trez. We really want to get into the five spot. The While Schroeder's coming back, AD's going to be out for a minute. Mark and Trez's responsibilities and roles change and expand in his absence. So I want to talk about while those two while AD is out, but also when AD comes back. They're, both players, Darius, are... Um, they've got very clear strengths and weaknesses. That's something that they're either usually really good at something or they're really not. Um, and so... Just want to leave it wide open for you. Just initial thought, initial overarching thoughts on 
Mark and Trez and their manning of the center position? So I think it's important to say, say this up front. I think both players have been fine. And on certain nights, I think they've been better than fine. An ongoing theme, I think, of this Lakers season has been the differences between a team this season that was expected to win the championship and last year's team that actually did win the championship, right? And so we have this blueprint or this idea of what a championship team looks like because we just saw the Lakers win a championship last season. The Lakers, though, is an organization. The Lakers is not a team. This year's team is much different than last year's team. And I think the differences that we're seeing in this year's team are almost mostly personified by what their big man rotation looks like. So I think it's a timely topic to discuss Mark and Trez through that lens and also with all of the stuff that, that you laid out. I think the point that you made about what they're not or things that they're bad in, I try not to view players that way. Like we t- we've talked a lot about the deficit model, right, on this pod a- and talking about what a player can't do. Whereas I think you and I, Pete, are almost always like, show me what that guy can do and let's build something around that instead. The thing is, though, is that when you talk about Mark and Trez specifically, I think two of the areas that they've been struggling in this year are two pretty important things for what the Lakers identity was last year. And I think that that's explosiveness, a very specific explosiveness in the painted area. And um, I think for Mark that shows on, that shows up on both ends of the floor. Honestly, he is a ground bound player, but I think for Trez, it shows up more defensively, but I think even offensively him not being a lob threat, I think is very much a thing that is showing up more and more within the context of some of the Lakers struggles. Mike, I'm sure you have a lot of opinions about sort of big picture and, and small picture stuff. So, so take it whichever direction you want to now within the context of, of Trez and Mark. And do you think it's fair that I said that they've mostly been good or, or am I grading on a curve? Yeah, I, I too, I, I would generally, I think, be higher on Mark, certainly, than the public um, per, perception might seem to be, which is based off of counting stats to some extent, right? Why does he not have more rebounds? Why is he not shooting more of the paint? Why, you know, because I think that I was expecting the things that Mark was going to bring to be more nuanced, especially given what the Lakers rotation was. But and Harold, I think Harold, I think has been, you know, I don't think he's been taking much criticism, right? Especially since he's not playing as many minutes, maybe as he did last year, even since AD has been out. Um, they haven't gone to him a lot. And I think part of that has been for Vogel's preference for defense when he's thinking about lineups. And I'm sure that's something that we're going to get back into with Pete. But for just for the position, a lot of I think the trick is that we're comparing now, or at least I am and watching these last couple of games. When AD's not out there, he can paper over what two guys get you because he take the Utah thing. What killed them last year and the Lakers beat them soundly all three times they played was AD can bring Gobert out, whether that's to the mid post or to the three point line, Gobert has to guard him on both places. And that not only does that make things, uh, you know, AD can still can get by him or shoot over him because Gobert has to be on his heels. But it opens the paint for LeBron. And LeBron was like plus 17 and plus 14 in the first two games against Utah. Uh, because then Utah has no weak side rim protection because you're talking about guys like Ingles and Bogdanovich and, and then the guards that are small. So LeBron was just feasting and getting into the paint whenever he wanted. A lot of that is because of AD. You can't get that same thing from Mark 
because even if even though he can space as a three-point shooter he only takes four shots a game you know maybe you can get him to take five or six but they're and coaches know that so they're going to say just play off him right if he if he hits two or three of them no big deal and then same thing with when trez comes in there then you can still just stay back dropped in the paint and so that to me pete is kind of what my to kick it over to you on this as to I don't know if you're really worried about solutions because ultimately you are going to get AD back. And, and, you know, look, the release went out on the 15th of February. So if it's four weeks from then, the 15th of March, uh, that means that he's going to miss one, two, three, four, only five more games. But let's say it's another week from there. Then it's five plus four more games. Right. So we're not hopefully we're talking about more like between five and ten games that this is an issue. But. Let me let me kind of redirect to the previous question before I drop the AD games being out thing in there. How how do you see that, Pete, when you're watching these games back, when you're watching them live? What is the thing that stands out about how they can paper over some of that? So the thing about papering over that is with both players, but Trez in particular, you have to be very specific. There are a couple of players in the Utah game last night on the defensive end that really stood out to me, right? Utah reminds me a little bit of those 2009, that 2009 Orlando Magic team, where they're really lob heavy, that that gravity on the lob, and then four offensive players around that great lob threat, which was Dwight before, and then Gobert, and then when Gobert goes to the bench, they have Favors in this spot, who's not super athletic, but can feel this role and had a couple of lobs in last night's game. So that plays directly into our no roller behind coverage. And this is where Trez goes and is important, right? This was an example or a manifestation against a possible playoff opponent of, to me, how not to use Trez. And these last few games have been super interesting to me from Frank Vogel's perspective in particular, because all of a sudden he had real basketball problems that didn't exist before. And in this respect, though, We've kept a very vanilla game plan, or at least did for for Utah. So there was a play where it was a lob between Favors, and I think Mitchell might have been the ball handler on that. And so they they throw a lob, you know, Trez contains on Mitchell as he comes off the screen or whomever it was. They throw the lob, Favors catches it, dunks down. And after the play, I always look for this, especially on the melts, because you can really see the, the interactions. Trez looks over to Kuz, who's guarding Bogdanovich on the weak side and saying, hey, you should be dropping down on that. And Kuz looks at him and and points to him like, no, I've got to stay. And that's the coaching calculus is how far down does the weak side guy drop, who's Kuz in this instance? How much does he help? Pete, I saw a play where Talon Horton Tucker got sucked in on a Gobert play. And Mm -hmm. he looked at Braun, right? Because the ball swung then to the weak side. And THT's man hit a three. And so THT looked at Braun and he sort of did that negotiation thing that they do with their hands, right? Like basically like, where am I supposed to be here, right? Like I'm sucking down because I've got tag responsibilities. And Braun told him straight up, like I couldn't read his lips, but but he told him like, no, stay. Like you stay. And the very next possession, it was the very next possession. THT stayed. And Gobert got a dunk and THC sort of put his head down and he ran up the court. But it was sort of the there was a defeated look a little bit from the defense on that particular back to back sequence of of plays because it was that negotiation and they lost on both ends of it. 
And, right. please, you know, that, and that plays into the second play where there was a side ball screen where Kuz was defending Mitchell and Favors was the screener. Usually we like to ice side ball screens, um, but for whatever reason, we, did on, we didn't on this one. I don't think it was a mistake by Kuz, who would be the guy icing it, uh, due to the reaction. So Mitchell uses the screen, gets a step on Kuz as a result of the screen. And so this becomes on these side ball screens, it's Trez or whoever the defensive big is has to kind of fake at the ball handler and like give him enough time for the guard or, or Kuz to fight back over, but not leave favors too much. Right. And so Trez stayed home and Trez, especially as an interior defender has really inactive hands. He, he, a lot of times will just keep his hands down by his side. And so anyway, uh, Mitchell gets a layup on this play as, as Trez, decides to not really leave favors that much it's kind of this really cursory stunt toward the ball mitchell doesn't buy the bluff goes up for the layup afterward lebron's hot lebron's mad at trez like and he's he does this motion of like bringing his hands together like you need to step up and and then trez is like but i was staying with with him right and so these types of miscommunications are happening all over the court for one but these two plays the second play the one that i just described is something that trez is bad at Right. Like he's he doesn't do his job as all as as frequently as he needs to at an NBA level. And that play plus the other play also speaks to something like that first play that no roller behind. If Kuz doesn't drop down, Trez is never getting to that lob. Right. Like he's never going to be able to play that no roller behind coverage. So, Mike, when you ask me the question of how do you paper over it? I think this roster, and I'm curious both of your thoughts on this, this roster is in more need of uh, contouring to individual skill sets and breaking away from that vanilla game plan that we go into every game with because, and we'll get to Mark in a sec, but both guys have such clear weaknesses that if you ask Trez to be that, it's going to be really bad, Mike. It's not something that he does. You know what I mean? So I would, I'm really, I would love to know why Vogel uses him in those places where like Trez is never going to be good on that play. So it gets to why the Lakers were so good in the bubble and why they were so good to start this season also is that you're not in Markeith Morris. Actually, if you're, if you're looking for some kind of an interesting big picture insight, listen to Markeith Morris and LeBron because LeBron's always good, but listen to Markeith after the Utah game. You can, you can check that out on Lakers.com or the, the Lakers app, all that kind of stuff. And what he basically said was we're built as role players around two stars. When one of those stars is out, we all have to do other stuff and more stuff. And some guys are capable. Kuzma, we've seen, is always capable of, of lifting his scoring, for example. And other guys are going to struggle some. You you mentioned, uh, in this case, Harrell. I think of THT as, so I totally got why Vogel wanted to start him. And it was, all right, let's take some of the ball handling responsibility off of LeBron. And not just to try to win this game, but just like, let's tax him less and get back to what we would be doing if Shooter were in there. And so THC starts there. But then you're not going to get that defense on a string as much if THC is out there is if you had, even if it were the, you know, the, so Caruso, it's like Kuzma, LeBron, Markeith, and KCP, guys that did that last year, that know that, aren't, that are going to know at least a little bit better when to get out to the Shooter and when not. 
And by the way, all of this stuff is under the guise of they're just still tired. And Morris and KCP openly acknowledged it. So that's that's the big bigger thing. But Darius and, and uh, PU2, if you want to weigh in this, to, to kind of circle this back to Mark in a sense, what I kept noticing on my initial watch, and my initial watch is never as good as your guys's second watch, or even when I look back, because I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm doing half the stuff while I'm uh, reporting the game. But my- Yeah, that's I true kept, of everyone. Yeah. I kept feeling like I was watching uh, Mark just sort of standing next to the rim, a, a touch or two late, whether it was to Gobert, whether it was to Conley or Mitchell penetration. And I I think that it's it's baked into all of these things. And I think that he can get better there, but there that's another area where that's going to continue to be a problem at this stage of his career, right? And with what he has left on that end as a rim protector. And though, so what did you guys notice with Mark and his interior presence or lack thereof? So two things, Mike. First, I just wanted to hit something that Pete said really quickly about the vanilla game plans. And it's tricky, Pete, because... Not only are not only do Trez and Mark have different strengths, right, and 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 weaknesses than what we are accustomed to from last year's team, right, um, and and defined ones at that. They're very different from each other's, right. Very much so. Mm-hmm. And, and and so Although I would argue talking- Mike's question. I would argue that Mark is a better perimeter defender too these days than he is an interior defender. He's going to win some of those and get strips and whatnot. You know who he reminds me of as a defender? Mike's going to laugh at this, but both of you will. He reminds me just overall as a player a little bit of Danny Green in a different position. But uh, I'm, I'm, well, I'll get into more of that later. Continue your point. Well, I was just saying so that if you want to start to tailor game plans or or tailor schematic approaches to some of the individual strengths and weaknesses of the players because those strengths and weaknesses are more defined than in previous seasons. And last year, I think that the strengths and weaknesses of both Dwight and JaVale defensively were pretty much the same. There's overlap, and they can play that no-roller behind coverage, right? Yes. Both guys fit into that in terms of their strengths. And, and so I think that you start to then create too many differences based off of each individual player that then necessitates other changes for the other players on the team that are playing with both of those guys. Right. So that's why it's important to do it during the regular season though. That's the difference D is that, is that last year you could play the same way because you had two centers that played the same way, but like the way you defend with Mark and the way you defend with Trez, they're, they're different than both of those guys last year, but also different than each other. Sure. I'm just saying that I think the ask then that you make of every other player on the team who has to supplement those guys and to be able to make those decisions on the fly during a regular season game, it's a bigger ask than I think most coaches want to ask of their players from game to game to game, right? Like Especially with no practices, right? Especially with no practices. But just in general, right, it's like you mentioned earlier that miscommunication, if not a miscommunication, then a, a, a sort of what should we be doing here? Communication, right? Getting on the same page. Yeah. Getting on the same page stuff. Imagine that multiplied by two or three magnitude based off the fact that now we're not mm, only talking yeah. about this specific team that we're playing, but we're talking about which defensive center is in. 
right? And then which teammates you're surrounded with and whose defensive responsibility is what. And there's a reason why coaches like to keep it vanilla from game to game to game. Mike, did you have something to add here? Yeah, just what you're getting at speaks, and last night's game highlights this better than almost anything, it speaks to the difference in continuity and the difference in cohesion right now on these two rosters. What it does not speak of is the way they would match up in the playoffs. And Frank Vogel said this, and it was a, I was, I was actually, I was, uh, I think, I guess it was a Twitter DM with Harrison. And I, I asked a question that was sort of a subtweet about Utah and Frank gave a pretty good, like a pretty honest answer about it. And while praising Utah for how good they are right now also said, yeah, we had some great continuity when I was in Indiana and that really helped us early in the season. Not necessarily when we got into a playoff series with the heat and he didn't say with the heat, but like, that's of course who they end up losing to. And guess why? Because they just weren't going to be able to handle Uh, the Heat's talent. They weren't going to be able, and they pushed them. Like, they made it hard for them. And this is, again, this is the difference right now between the February 24th matchup between Utah and the Lakers, where Utah's, they've got their system. They've got their guys that have been there. Every single player, their top eight in the rotation, I wrote this in the pregame report, same exact playoff rotation minus Bogdanovich, who was injured, uh, all the way down through the bench with Clarkson and with Niang. Um, And so all those guys, and Ingles on the bench this year, all those guys, Top eight in minutes this year. And the ninth is Derek Favors, who was in Utah for nine years before he went to New Orleans for one year. So it's peak continuity. They know exactly where they're going to be. They don't have to answer all the questions that we just went through about rotation and about matchup. And and that's a huge advantage on a random night in February. But what we saw with this Lakers team, and I think LeBron is the biggest reason why Frank Vogel helps a lot. They sometimes would come out in a series and and feel it out a little because they are not a system team. They are not a, here's what we do every night for sure. They are a, hey, we're better than you. We're going to figure out what you're doing. We're going to stop it. And then that's we're going to use, we're gonna that's use true our on defense too. Yeah, that's true on defense yeah. as well. Yeah, Pete, take that, please. No, just that was, we, in every series last year, right? Once we got, we played that first game and it's kind of our basic package. And then we kind of enveloped them. It was almost like rock, paper, scissors, the way that paper beats rock, right? It's like whatever shape that you take and the shapes of our opponents were all so different last postseason. Portland was a very different team than Houston, who is very different than having a big bruiser like Jokic, who's a great passer at the five and Murray and all the handoffs. Denver and Miami were the two most similar teams because they had a lot of that delay. Uh, Bam and Jokic are both great passers, right? Like have a, systematically were similar, but in each series that we and we talked a lot about that shape shifting Darius and that's my concern about this team is that shape shifting right if we've got these very different players with very different strengths and weaknesses and we don't have much time to practice like there's a way that we can defend well with Trez and there's a way that we can defend well with Mark and obviously we're still if not the best one of the best defensive teams in the league so I don't want to overstate this but they're not the same way. So how do we rectify that having that shape shifting if we don't have if we don't aren't able to put in the reps to do it? Well, I just think too, the Lakers weren't as much a shape shifting team during the regular season last year either. So I think some of what you're talking about, Pete, is is the idea that we've talked about before. And this is a pivot back to a point that that Mike makes a lot and he makes it a lot because it's an important point and we should always remember it which is that the reason why the Lakers are a shape-shifting team is because they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis is probably the most shape-shifting of of player that you can have based off of 
his specific skill set as a seven footer offensively and and defensively the dexterity that davis plays with when he's at his top level is the ultimate answer to any type of attack that an offense is going to have in the modern nba i just think that so it made me think that's a little bit what the warriors have with draymond during their runs right like in in a just defensively speaking yes yes no that's exactly right and the what made draymond so great is that is that he did all of that at at his size right and Kevin Garnett's another one yes i should restate that what made draymond great is the rim protection he was offering as like a 6 foot 6 6 foot 7 guy right like you typically cannot play small and get the level of rim protection that that he offered and then when they got durant it was just like oh well now it's over because the guy you have playing power forward is basically a two guard who is seven feet, right? So he moves, he moves like a guard, but he's as tall as Anthony Davis, right? So there's like- the same thing that Draymond brings, but even more in in some sense, right? With that length and athleticism that Draymond might not necessarily have. Well, also too, he's he's secondary help, right? And so Draymond's always early, and then the guy coming behind Draymond is Kevin Durant. It's just like it made it totally unfair, and that's one of the things that the Lakers have too is is that a a lot of times it is based off of their defensive responsibilities it could be lebron who's first and ad who's second or ad who's first and lebron who's second and it's just like well what do we do with that it's just too hard and yeah. when we you, talk you, about you lose four times out of seven right That's yes yes you know? And the brilliant thing about Anthony Davis, and one of the reasons why, and we can get into this in another pod and not this one, because I really do want to zero back in on Mark and Trez a bit. But the wonderful thing about Anthony Davis is his ability to play up at the point of attack in screen and roll situations while still recovering to the paint and being a disruptive force against lobs and making the skip pass harder. It's one of the reasons why that on Twitter last night, I was just like, I'm feeling more and more comfortable with a matchup against Utah, specifically because I saw what was missing in terms of Anthony. Like I saw how Utah was attacking and I saw the counter to that wearing a beautiful sweater on the sideline with that his wonderful chain. Nice. Hey, yeah, he's, he, he's got a nice selection. AD sweater game. Yeah, Coos, All Coos, NBA, watch the blood. Watch the blood on the sweater, bro. All NBA sweater game. Anthony Davis. Uh, yeah, Darius, that's the and, – and Pete, I'll, let me kick it back to you after this to get recenter us on Gasol and Harold. But th- the reason we're talking about AD – is because he is the whole reason we're talking about Gasol and Harold. Like, you know, that, that he is the he is sort of the key here. But that in Utah specifically, that was my second little three things key um, in that pregame thing I do. It's like AD is is the jazz kryptonite. And and look, LeBron is everybody's kryptonite, but AD specifically, Utah's just got no chance um, of dealing with him. And it's why Marquise Morris said, Yep, they kicked our ass, but we're not front, we're not worried about this matchup specifically. Can I just say, too, that, Pete, you talked about the vanilla game plan, and you talked about how, oh, on this possession, they didn't ice. The Lakers didn't ice at all yesterday. They didn't ice at all. But it's a cool little wrinkle that Utah does in terms of their screen and roll set on the sideline is that they act like they're going to set the screen, but 
Conley dribbles deeper into the corner and then go bear circles back to set the ball screen, almost to make sure that they're going to get middle. And, and, and so when you're on the ball, you feel like I'm guarding the ball, right? There's no screen there. There's no opportunity to say ice, ice, ice. I'm guarding the ball. There's no screen there. Then Gobert comes back and then he sets that screen. There are adjustments to be made there, though. And the Lakers said, yeah, guess what? We're not making those adjustments. That's right. And so Utah got middle. So often that on so many of those possessions, y'all should have seen me watching this game at home. Like everyone listening, but especially you two, Pete and Mike, because I was honestly just laughing and my kids were on the couch with me and they were just like, you know, we're losing so bad. Like, why are you what laughing? Are you laughing yeah, like, what are you laughing about? But I was just laughing. I was just cackling at how often Utah was getting middle and just how that flowed into everything that they wanted to do. Their whole offense is predicated on getting middle on that ball screen screen action and then the lob to go bear. And guess what? You take one of those things away consistently and you start to make other people make plays and that's where you can start to give the jazz problems but that's a whole different podcast we should go to break and we should talk a little bit more about trez and mark yeah in a playoff series that ends that position ends with anthony davis against donovan mitchell in a one-on-one right because you switch that and then gobert doesn't have the post game to really exploit those switches and your best bet is We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Donovan Mitchell, who's an amazing player. I love I love Mitchell. He's also 6'3". 6'1", it's right. Right. The the types of moves he will have to make against a knock on wood healthy Anthony Davis, those are going to be difficult shots. And like you said, it's about getting middle and either that lob to go bare or spraying those passes yes. into those shooters. And it's especially they're really good at it, but there are counters to it, like you said, that we didn't get into. So anyway, let's take a break. There's a different counter that I want to talk about from the Lakers perspective. I'd love to hear your guys opinion on. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. 
Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So this is my theory or just thought is I want us to try more things to keep Trez on the court against big players, right? The other day against Washington, he had 26 points in 23 minutes in a game where, especially toward the end, LeBron was the entirety of our shot creation and he was struggling, right? And are there ways to keep Trez on the court? Because that was one thing that Vogel said in in that post game is that, well, you know, Robin Lopez is a tough nut matchup with him. If we talk about Utah in a seven game series, you've got Gobert, but you've also got Derek Favors, who's beefy, right? Like those are the types of guys that Trez struggles with. There's guys that are just way too big for him. I've thought of this in the context of like the Trez and AD lineups. I don't think Trez is going to be a closing player for us very often and certainly not against these teams that have those type of guys. But I would love to see Trez in that four spot defensively, especially a lot more like, is there a way to keep him on the court? Mike, that, that's is there a way to keep him on the court to, to kind of work around some of his weaknesses. Cause he's such an effective offensive option that it feels like a, a waste to have a guy sitting on the bench, right? When he's got 26 and 23 minutes, but this one thing keeps him out. Like what, what can we do to kind of work around that? Yeah, a couple things come to mind. And the first one is that he hasn't really had the chance to develop the full trust of Vogel, like the guys that he's competing with for minutes in those types of situations. And that's to an extent Markeith Morris, that's to an extent Kyle Kuzma, uh, that's to an extent Marcus Saul, even as we've seen late. And that trust in Mark doesn't come from direct experience this year it comes from his past as as a defensive player and again to repeat your point Pete that that you go to quite often we know how Frank is going to default and I think that the not having real practice time for them to go over some of these defensive concepts and ideas in real detail which you know that Vogel would love to do I think that contributes as well so there is progress to be made there I think that that can that can kind of build upon itself as the season goes on and maybe even over the all-star break that's the kind of thing where like some of these guys will, they'll take a complete break and then other ones will, you know, will have some of the younger assistant coaches send them a bunch of video clips and they'll start to get to some work on it. And even if that happens, so let's say maybe they go to Mexico for five days, but then those, those next three or four, they're starting to buckle in on what they can do a little better. And so that kind of thing could help. And then, you know, secondly, I think, and this is more on the other side, the fact that he isn't a spacer, in that kind of a lineup, I think hurts him. And that's where that's where I, I kind of want to get Darius's thoughts on this. If you have him in at the four and, and the Lakers have been struggling to hit shots and they haven't really had the best spacing, especially with that second unit, 
how do you do that with with him at the four? If you're Frank Vogel, uh, what is the solution there? So I'm going to answer both of your questions the same way. No, Pete, there's really not a lot the Lakers can do. They can't put him at they can't put him at the four. I don't think offensively, um, even with Mark, because Mark and AD can space the floor, right? Sure. You've got Trez down in the dunker spot. That's that's. I'm not asking for some sort of bizarre spacing that we don't no, already do. On paper, it works. It works more with Gasol. To me, it does not work with Anthony Davis. Oh, interesting. The reason why I say that is because if Anthony Davis is playing center and it's closing time, you want that to be a five-out lineup. The only reason why you would play a non-spacing big is because he is an asset defensively, the way that Dwight would close games. The only time the Lakers would close with two big men last season with a non-spacing big is when Dwight would close. And that was almost always predicated on the Lakers needed that extra defensive effort in the paint against whatever type of player is that maybe that's what Pete's saying though is if so you're playing to Trez's strengths there then you're saying okay we're a different you're team not, last year. yes but you you're know, not something. but you're not doing it see but here's the thing is Trez is not a vertical threat from the dunker spot on LeBron post-ups or on AD post-ups he is a duck-in threat right he is a swim move threat right but he is not a force threat He's not. That doesn't make him better or worse. One of those things is not better or worse than the other. But LeBron wants the front of the rim. The dunker spot, if you're going to be a threat from that position, while occupying your man and keeping the front of the rim open, you need to be a lob threat, right? Because I I don't necessarily agree. The bounce pass is so much harder to get through there pete it just is it's the tee up though it's the what the the pass that's available there and trez does this a lot is going from the dunker spot and then circling lebron drop steps baseline these are on these baseline drives and trez goes from the dunker spot right to the front of the rim he circles a tee up right yeah and he's great on those little floaters and flip shots i actually agree with you in terms of the post but I do think that you can do your you can run your high pick and roll game. That's the other thing. So this this to me is the distinction. I, I would agree with you on the post ups, even though I think that they're like he could be setting the weak side pin screen. Mark's really good at that or teeing up. Right. So it's not just the lob threat. But although I can concede that that's that's better. And I would say that he's more of a, anyway, he's got more of a lob threat in him than we've seen so far. Anyway, um, but. I would tend to agree regarding the post ups, but on those ball screens, remember when it used to be Kobe, Lamar, and Powell, and that like one guy would be in the dunker spot. Yeah, I can. It, it was even better with Bynum. LeBron, it, it was right. even better with Bynum and Powell and right. the pick and pop. And the Lakers have actually had success running that same exact action with AD and Trez. There were a couple of games in the first part of the season when the Lakers were really rolling, and I was just like, oh, they're short rolling AD the low man is having to step up to guard him and AD hit Trez for like two layups or a a layup and a dunk. And then he got a foul and then he drew a foul too. This is going to work a lot against teams that like to blitz LeBron, right? So that's what happens. Two guys go to LeBron, AD rolls, but not all the way to the basket. That's the short roll, gets it around the free throw line. And a guy's got to either step up to Anthony Davis, who's one of the best scorers in the NBA. But if he does, that's a dump off to Trez, who's one of the best finishers around the rim in the NBA. So yeah, it's going to be really hard to blitz LeBron in the playoffs. Sorry. So in terms of Trez and keeping him on, on the floor for, for longer, let's, 
let's play this out and let's just say Darius is a dummy and let's play this out in a way that is trying to optimize him and let's do the four argument, right? You do put probably smaller players on Trez because the bigger player is going to have to guard AD. You can space the floor with AD. And then also too, you give yourself a, another option offensively as like an isolation scoring threat, right? To sort of go to this guy who probably has a matchup advantage. I think all of that stuff is great. Um, I think though you probably get into more one-off situations and less continuity stuff that is built off of LeBron and AD specific strengths, which is probably what you want to play to, but I could see it going there, right? Just in certain matchups. The thing I want to go back to, though, is Mike's point about trust and Trez, because there's two things here defensively that I think matter. And Pete, you've made this point a lot this year and even last year, too. But when Frank's going to look for solutions, he's going to look for them defensively. Right. And when it comes to Trez, almost this entire season, he's been telling Trez that you're going to guard the center. And you're not going to guard. You're not going to play power forward. You're going to play center. And. I do not think Vogel trusts Trez to do power forwardy things defensively. I don't think he trusts him to tag, recover, to make all of those weak side decisions. It's like another it's much more of a perimeter position, especially defensively in today's NBA. Well, it's just another level of like decision making and instincts that you need to have to play that specific role defensively. LeBron is great at it. Anthony Davis is great at it. Trez, to me, even this year, hasn't shown to me that he can do that specific thing. What he can do, I think, more of defensively in order to stay on the floor is I think that he can blitz more. And if he's going to play center, I think you have to get more aggressive with him and you need to trust the backside guys to make their rotations a little bit more. And I think if you're going to change one thing defensively, you don't change it for Mark. I think you change it for Trez. Right. And, and, and so, and I think if there's one thing to install, and I think this is important, I think it's going to be important even for Anthony Davis, right? Because he's another guy who can, who you may want to deploy this type of action with is that, yeah, we're bringing up two on the ball and we're bringing them up hard and we're not doing it to save the big man because the Lakers do it a lot to save the big man. The big man is on an island. We're running a guard out there and we're we're throwing two at the ball. We're rescuing the big man. Everyone rotates behind that. This And this is the, this is the action that triggers those scrambles that we talk about the Lakers being really great at. Yes, and this is a different type of scramble, Mike. It 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 is one where you're saying... I'm not necessarily rescuing the guard, but I am bringing up pressure with my big man in order to force the guard into an early decision. And then I am rotating off of that. And that's a different type of strategy that the Lakers have not really employed. They've typically either dropped or they've switched. They did play higher at the ball as the year progressed last season, but that was just playing higher. It wasn't we're trapping or blitzing the ball handler it was we're showing you something early because you're a pull-up shooting threat but if you're going to optimize trez at the point of attack defensively i think it has to be that pete and mike rather than the no roller behind let's put you even at the level of the ball but not engaging you to like activate and play there with with force okay so that makes sense let's let's do this uh, if you guys will indulge me the lakers have four games before the break so 
what do they do in these games? And we don't have to go through each one specifically, but I, I do think we should start with Portland because they're in a, a uniquely challenging position in terms of what they have available as bigs. Collins hasn't played all year. Nurkish is out. So they're starting Enos Cantor. He played 38 minutes in their last game, uh, which was a, a pretty close loss to Phoenix. They're playing really small because Covington is at the four. Derek Jones Jr. Um, is at the three. And then you have Trent, who is a smaller. I guess he's really not that small. He's as a two. He's not small. Sometimes I play him as a three uh, when McCollum's in there. And then Lillard, of course, who's just been lights out, especially late in games. And then guess what? Off the bench, they're not big either. Um, it's mellow and it's Nasir Little. So, Pete, how do you, with all that we've just said about Mark, about Trez, how do you try to match up for that game and uh, and acknowledging the threat that Lillard is and also thinking about maybe maybe you can take advantage of, of Trez in this kind of a matchup? Yeah, no, that's a, good, that's a great question. So much of our defensive game plan is built around AD, right? When we talk about Portland, like, oh, we played them in a playoff series. We played them five times and we saw exactly how to match up with them and exactly what worked. Um, so much of that is predicated on AD's ability to switch, AD's ability to show high, but that showing high or that blitzing that Darius was talking about, this is, if if I can zoom out for just one brief moment, and this applies to Portland as well, just to put it simply, like, my idea is that Trez is good enough on offense to make exceptions for on defense, meaning that like it's worth trying to find things that work for him on the defensive end and against a team like Portland and the Blazers, like what I don't want Darius, I don't want Damian Lillard stepping into threes. Right. And that was a big part of how we defended. So we would sit on his shoulder with Caruso or KCP in the playoffs last year. We'd have AD show high. Even Dwight was showing high, even though that wasn't a strength of his. But we were like, look, we're not going to let this dude step into threes. They beat us earlier in the year at home with Dame, especially in that fourth quarter, getting a, a few of those looks. So that, Mike, that's, that's the, this is a good game to me for incorporating more of that blitzing, more of, but, there's also the, are we really going to be blitzing at this time of year and having guys run around and close out and, you know, rotate the way that we would in the playoffs? Like, theoretically, it works, but in the context of the season, it might not make sense. Well, also, too, just to put a bow on the Portland stuff, especially, is when Portland came in and beat the Lakers earlier this year, Trez got exposed in the fourth quarter because what Dame started to do was rather than walk into threes when Trez was showing high, he strung out his dribble. And he strung it out and strung it out. The guard recovered. And then that put Trez back into rotation, right? So then Trez then left the action. He is now either backpedaling or turning his back and trying to recover and find a man. And then Dame then started to snake. He, he snaked his dribble a couple of times. The big man who stayed high. He hit him with a pass to go down the middle. Like there was a lot of stuff that Dame, who is an expert, like he's expert level player, right? He is 99 level offense and and awareness 2K, right? And so I'm all for trying to make accommodations for Trez. I think you're right, especially during this stretch, Mike, where AD is going to be out. There's four more games before the all-star break. Like the Lakers need to get a couple of wins. In this stretch, they just do. They've lost four in a row. It, it's like you can't go into the all-star break on an eight-game losing streak. That said, they need to figure out ways to like 
to still mix it up a little bit more with both of these guys. And I honestly think that this is going to be an important mark game as well, man. Like one of the ways that you take advantage of Cantor is by being strong on the glass. So Mark's going to have to box out, right? And then by putting him in pick and rolls and, and and then attacking him there. And Mark's important there too. He is a good screen setter and he's going to have to make a couple of threes and defensively he's going to have to be on his horse like it's just what he's going to have to do is it going to be perfect it's not but both of these guys need to be compensated for in their own ways right and a lot of that means your teammates are going to have to lift you up a little bit and be there to support you in ways that you don't have to support anthony davis because anthony davis is there to support you and by the way after the blazers the next game is the Warriors. So it's Steph. So you can, there are some repetitive coverages that you can use, especially when those guys don't have CJ McCollum in Dame's case or Clay Thompson in Steph's case. And I think that Frank Vogel, uh, Pete, you're right. Like it's not the way that they might do it in the playoff series, but having Schroeder back definitely helps. And maybe you don't have to do, and again, we don't know for sure that he's going to play. Uh, we're hopeful that he clears protocols. Having him back, Actually, let me ask you specifically about that. Shooter being as good as on the ball as he is, he can still get screened off, right, by whoever it is, whether it's Cantor or um, or Draymond or whoever, whatever guard's going to come up. Do you do fewer types of like aggressive traps and try to just trust that Shooter is going to be able to navigate more, or do you uh, do you play the same way? So I think you fight over the screen with Schroeder, just as you as we did with AC. Part of what's great about him is at, at that point of attack is fighting over those screens and staying attached. Now, as we we will likely do a, a mix of blitzing them. I like blitzing in a theoretical sense, and I think it's what we're best at. But I also understand that the there's only so many times you can go to that well it's, and because you have to run around a lot. You got to scramble off of doing that for it to work. Um, we'll show at the level of the screen a lot. And if you do that, the job of the defensive guard is to stay attached, right? And Schroeder, it's so cool to watch him slow down, especially as he fights over these screens because he bends and contorts. And he's the, the old coaching phrase, how you teach guards, how to get over that is get skinny, right? If you're, if you're perpendicular to the screener, like you don't want them to be able to hit your chest. You want them to have as narrow of a target as possible. So you want them to be trying to get your shoulder to, to hit your shoulder. And then you and Schroeder so wonderful at bending and ducking and getting over and doing that. And so that against both Steph and Dame will be huge. And that's part of the reason I, I know Frank loves him defensively um and then yeah at that point you start getting into well that's how we defended portland in the first round of the playoffs last year right so i think that even though they're that type of threats and we don't have ad i still think you can be aggressive can can we still be as aggressive with our guards d with in the absence of anthony davis i mean yes and no i think that there's a certain amount of aggression that was i think vogel looked at his guards last season and all of them avery bradley too right but i think he looked at almost all of his guards and, and maybe even all of his perimeter players as sort of junkyard dogs off of the leash right and, and so go out there and i don't actually care if you're a little wild right because the Agreed. because the protection we have because guess what we've got bigger dogs behind you 
that are going to basically help you clean up these these mistakes. So be aggressive, press up at the point of attack and and the big guys are going to have your back. This year, I think Vogel still wants that mentality of like be aggressive up there, but I think he also needs his guards to be more disciplined than what he asked him to be last season. And that means staying in front more, being more attached and not losing, not losing containment as much because you're maybe doing a little bit of gambling, right? Yeah. Take fewer chances. Yeah. And honestly, I think, and honestly, I think some of the perimeter issues that the Lakers have been experiencing this season has probably reflected that they know they don't have the same rim protection behind them. And so they're playing off more. They are not as aggressive on closeouts and in chasing and jumping passing lanes. And I think some of the conservative nature of what they are has hurt them in a way. I think it's hurt them in their three-point defense because they are not closing out as hard. I don't think that's all just rotation miscommunication. I think some of that is like, all right, I don't have AD behind me. I don't have Dwight or JaVale behind me. I've got to play it a little bit more close to the vest here. I just, I want to balance that out if I can in this way. Part of by, part of playing like that though, is that they're also giving up fewer line drives to the rim and they are fouling less. So you're right. They might not trust that, hey, a shot blocker's there. He's going to, you know, he's going to make a highlight play. You're not going to see as many Rudy Gobert dunks or, you know, as many the, the one time that Mitchell got down there. But it's it's almost like the more they've played the more conservative style. And again, just take out the last week or so when they've been on fumes without AD and without Schroeder. And it's worked for them, too. So it's, it goes back to our, the point that we've made relatively consistently on this pod that it's a different team from last year, but they they their upside is probably greater and the defense can be just as good, even if a little bit different. Yeah. Just closing thoughts on, on that point is this team defensively is more cerebral and technically gifted than last season's team. One of the things about JaVale, for example, is as great of a shot blocker as he is, he is in the wrong defensive stance, quote unquote, a decent portion of the time, right? As his hips turn and he can make up for that because but there are also times where he gets bumped off of his spot and he gets scored on in a, in a ball screen situation because he didn't square up. Mark, for example, is the complete opposite of JaVale. Like you, in terms of strengths and weaknesses, Mark is technically, and he, and this is why he reminds me of Danny Green, is that he just has a masterful understanding of the theory of defense right and of like if i stand in this spot I, like he's always in the right place and danny green defensively was always the same thing oh Pete. if you get him alone in space no so that's I, where some of the Pete, keep your thought keep your thought but i, I want to introduce this you i'm you i don't think you saw I, the pregame interview that i did with gasol the other day and i asked him some question about defense and he you can just see in his eyes it's so simple to him the way to play basketball, kind of like just how you described. So he almost, he's like, he's like, dude, it's basketball. And I'm like, and I, I said literally to him, I'm like, Mark, to you, yes. it's, it's all super <laughs> clear and simple. To LeBron, it's all super clear and simple. To Rondo, you know, probably to Vogel, to Darius and Pete. This, this stuff is really simple. But 
it's not as simple for most of the guys that are on the floor next to them. And, and I, I just thought it was interesting that he he's almost impatient about talking about basketball because he hears guys like me. And I look, I know more than probably the average reporter even. But I when I ask a question to him, he's like, dude, it's basketball. It's defense. What do you do? It, it's just it's so interesting, like how simple it is to him, man. He's a master of the theory of basketball. And we got a couple of guys like that. LeBron obviously is the utmost because he's got carries all of this responsibility. He's he's this is post this is grad school doctorate level classes. He's professor emeritus. LeBron is at a, at a lot of different aspects of the game. But Mark understands how to play, right? But then there's that crossover into like you get him out into space and then he can be vulnerable. So anyway, this is going to be an ongoing conversation throughout the se- the season. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to this next stretch. I think that having Schroeder back is going to be an, an enormous boost. I think we're going to get back on track here. And if we don't, then that's going to be uh, we're, we're going to start having some conversations. But until then, <laughs> you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll yeah. catch you guys next time. See y'all. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.